Good morning, CBF. Our scripture reading today is from Jude 17:23. Please follow along with me if you can. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Uh, what a pleasure to be here with you this morning, to be able to open the Word and study together. Um, the older that I get, the easier it is for me to realize that this is a privilege that most often I take it for granted, and I would probably assume that you do as well. So let's, uh, let's pray together and ask the Lord to, to bless our time here this morning. Ask, her, ask him to teach us to obey his word. Father, we're so grateful for who you are. We pray that this morning, Father, that you would remove me from, uh, from up here, that you would uh, move away all the distractions and perhaps the pain, the suffering. Father, I pray that you would grant us the ability to be spiritually led this morning, that we would find forgiveness and repentance and restoration and reconciliation. And above everything else, Father, that we would cherish your word and that we would cherish the words that Jude placed in your book that calls us to remember the things that you have written. So Lord, I pray this morning that you guide us and direct us as we look into your word May your church proclaim blessings to your name in Jesus' name. Amen. During uh, one of my months of summer in one of my college years, I came to the state of Indiana, to the great city of Brownsburg. Yes, that's, that's where I lived. I know there's one of you out there, so <laughs> congratulations. And uh, I came in with the intention of working for a few weeks and then going back, going back home and seeing my family. And I was, I was really excited about that time because in one of those weeks, one of my best friends from Brazil was actually coming over and he was gonna spend a whole week with me and we were gonna work together. And I had made in my mind all these plans to be able to catch up on conversation, to, to bring up the old, old stories from three years prior to those moments. And to, 
Ask the questions, what God is doing in your life? How, how is he leading? What's going on right now? I know you're engaged. What, what's next? What do you see happening? And on the morning that my friend was supposed to arrive where I was staying, I got the news that he's all the way from Brazil, that they were trying to get a hold of him because his grandpa had passed away. At that moment, all the plans to catch up on the old, old days and to see how things are going now became secondary to the main idea that now I need to tell him that his family, 6,000 miles away, cannot get a hold of him because his grandpa just passed away. So as he arrived to the house, I walked outside, I was waiting for him, looking through the window, I walked outside and I took him aside and I said, hey, here, here are the news. And here's what I learned. That even though that was not my original plan, that was what was necessary in that moment. Now you're asking me, what does that story have to do with the book of Jude? If you go back to Jude verse 3, and I'll read it to you, dear friends, which he uses all the time, although I have been eager, listen to his motivation, here's what he wants to do, even though I have been eager to write to you about our common salvation, that's not what he does. He spends most of his letters not knowing that Pastor David, 2,000 years after that, would spend five weeks agonizing over all the things that he told us about the false teachers in the church. His desire was, just like mine, to do something completely different, and then the necessity of the moment caused him to actually write something that was completely off the topic that he had in mind, which his intentions were not the same as the letter he's writing to. But it is not until Jude 17 to 23 that we actually find some exhortations, not only to the false teachers, but to us. And I cannot imagine any more appropriate ex exhortation to a church than the words of Jude 2,000 years after he wrote to us. Because what he's going to do here, he's going to move away from warnings to a personal exhortation to those who are truly in the body of Christ which is us if we are in Jesus. And here's the first thing he does when you're outlined. He's going to ask us to remember the words that were spoken in the past, verse 17 to 19. Let me read verses 17 so we can get going here. But you, dear friends, recall the predictions foretold by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now he's, he's not only asking us to remember the words that were spoken in the past, but he's asking us to remember who has spoken those words. It's not just the words themselves, but it's who has spoken those words to us. Now, he's addressing us here once again by dear brothers, which literally the, tra the translation here would probably be more correct if it was loved ones. He's calling us the ones who have been loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only here in verse 17, but if you jump down to verse 20, listen to what he says again. But you, dear friends, it's not about them anymore. Now it's about us. 
The term here is actually used to describe somebody who's, who's passionate about the, the individuals who are receiving the writing. He knows they're in a tough position. They've been oppressed inside of the church. There's false teachers sitting among them, oppressing them with theological issues that are outside of the scripture. They're bringing different theology into the church to confront the theology that the apostles have taught them in the past. So Jude decides to challenge them with an exhortation here and, and commands them to remember the words that have been written to them. Now, notice here with me just for a second in your Bible that the words that Jude is commanding them to remember or to recall are the words of the apostles Jesus Christ, which is very specific and very direct. He's not asking them to remember such and such from the past. He's talking about those who actually were disciples and apostles of Jesus. The verb here, to remember, is extremely significant because there's three main verbs in the passage we're going to study today. And the first one appears right here, and it is a command. It is an imperative verb, which means you and I do not have the choice to say, yeah, maybe I'll do that, maybe not. He's saying for you to deal with the situation that the false teachers have brought into the church, you need to remember the words. That's a command. And to disobey God in this command is a sin. Here's what else. This is the same word that Jude's going to use in verse 5 when he says this. Look, at, look with me in verse 5. Now, I desire, and here's his desire, I desire to remind you or to make you remember, to make you recall, and what is that? That Jesus, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt. So he's reminding them, he's asking them to remember not only the words of the apostles, but that in which was happening in the history of the Jewish nation way, way back then. So here's one thing for you. These words were not written on a vacuum. They were spoken by the apostles, plus the apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They were words that God used to establish his church and now out of the establishment, establishment of God's church, he wants to use those same words to establish the sanctification process in your life that he wants to accomplish. Now you say, Michael, why is this important? Let me give you a few things here. Number one, it is important for you to remember God's word because God speaks to us through his word. 2 Timothy chapter 3. It is important for you to remember God's word because it brings him glory. It is important for you to remember God's word because Jesus, according to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, this is my body, which is for you. And then he says the magical words here, remember, do this in remembrance of me. You must remember. Now on a practical level, memories can help you to recognize God's work in your own life. There's, there's a reason why in the Old Testament, the Jewish nation would set out memorials or altars so they can look back and realize God was present in that moment. And then it helped us to navigate through life. You talk about tough circumstances, 
I am so happy I graduated 20 plus years ago that I'm not graduating from high school now. And those individuals that stood up here, the one thing that they need and the one thing that you need is the same thing that Jude recalls and asked them to remember 2,000 years ago, which is to remember the words, to make them a priority. Now, to remember is an, an extremely important exercise in the Christian life. If you're married, you probably remember, and you should remember the date of your wedding. I know there's some of you who are smiling and laughing probably because you don't remember what date was that. You probably want to remember the day your kids were born. You need, you need to remember perhaps the day when you became a believer, when you put your faith in him, when your life was transformed. Perhaps it's a person that you've prayed for and that's, that person has come to know the Lord and now that date has become special for you. Those are memorials that God allows us to have in our own lives in a practical way so we can remember his work along the way. And so to recall here is not only to remember this, but also to actually put our lives into a position where we can actually be transformed and shaped by the words of God himself. And as God shapes us through his word, we will contend for the faith, which is exactly what Jude calls us to do. Now, here's the thing. You must not only remember the words, but you need to remember what the message is communicated in verse 18 and 19. Here's what it says. For they said to you at the end of time, there will come scoffers propelled by their own ungodly desires. These people are divisive, worldly, and devoided of spirit. Now, none of, those, none of those characteristics are characteristics that you should strive to have somebody else describing you for. Devoid of spirit, worldly, divisive. But when it comes to the words at the end of time here, which is the first words that he says in verse 18, Jude is most likely quoting from Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3. The phrase here at the end of time is probably a reference between Christ's first coming and his second coming. And we know that, that, that after Jesus' second coming, he will actually rule directly. And we've talked about this in the past over humankind from the earth during the millennial period. And then in the new heavens and a new earth in the future. Now Judah makes it clear here that these words were not intended for a far off generation which means that those words were not just intended to them, but they're intended to us. And how do we know this? Because he says this, listen to verse 18 again. For they said to you, the apostles back here, they said those words to you. And now, CBF, those words are, are being spoken to you. Because the word of God is, Alive, It can transform lives 2,000 years ago and now in our Westfield, Carmel, Fisher, Zionsville area. He's not bound by time or space. And then he moves to the identity of those individuals that I just touched on. He has, he has already given us a description of some of those identities and some of those characteristics. And now let me read some of them to you. Jude says that they changed God's word into a license for immorality. 
Now listen to this and ask, ask yourself the question, is this being spoken about me? Verse 4, it says they change God's grace into a license for immorality. Verse 4 as well, they deny the deity of Jesus. Verse 8, they disregard the human body. Verse 8 and 9, they reject God's authority and slander the content of God's word. Verse 10, they have no reasoning. Verse 16, they're grumblers and fault finders. Is that you? Is that me? And then, if that's not enough, he goes on to add a list of things here. And the first thing he says is, they are scoffers, verse 18, which means scoffers in the Hebrew text literally mean the person who despises religion and the morality based on it. They're not only immoral individuals, they reject all kinds of relationship with God, and those are the people that have infiltrated the church. The scoffer here is not an atheist, yet he does not believe that God will judge. Listen, they're in the church. They might believe something about God. They're not calling themselves atheists, but they do not believe that God will judge at least them for the things that they have done. And interestingly enough, that's the same picture that Peter paints in 2 Peter chapter 3. So this is who they are. They're scoffers. But here's what motivates them. Jude says that they're propelled by their own desires. Now, I enjoy meat. Thank you. That wasn't even supposed to be funny, but thank you. I enjoy meat. I grew up in southern Brazil, and if you've ever gone, gone downtown or any other area in this country that has a Brazilian barbecue place, those places come from the area where I grew up. So we're really proud about the way we cook our meat in open fire. I'm not as good as my dad, but my family thinks it's the best meat in the world, so I'm okay with it because they don't understand the history behind. So if they ate somebody else's barbecue, they will realize that mine really stinks. But when you barbecue, you can do open fire. You can do smoking style. So you can have pellets. You can have all kinds of stuff in there. You can do all kinds of different types of cooking. But what motivates me is my passion for the end result. And what Judah is saying here is that what motivates them is not the end result that God wants for them, but the end result that the ungodly desires in their own hearts are bringing forth. And I'm going to tell you that that is a very dangerous place for you to be. This is what motivates them. Not only that, what characterizes them is that they're divisive. Their attitude and passion are characterized by instigating divisions between brothers and sisters. We are called to be unified, and those individuals want nothing to do with unification. 
They are worldly, which means is that's what they follow. They follow the pattern established in this world, not the pattern established by God. And they are devoid of the Spirit, which literally means they are physically alive and they are spiritually dead because God is not part of their lives and the Spirit has not brought them back from the dead into a spiritual condition. So if Jude was writing to us, CBF, you would find these individuals sitting right next to you. They would be sitting next to you paying, paying lip service to the faith they claim to possess, when in reality they do not only have denied the faith in general, but they live in a constant denial of the most basic elements of the faith. They're spiritually dead, and the only thing that dead people can do is to be spiritually dead. So you need to remember the words that were spoken to you. And you need to remember those words so you can do the second thing that Jude's going to command us to do right now, which is to remain in the love of God. I will argue that you cannot do the second one until the first one is a reality in your life. But Jude believes that they have already been reconciled to God and now he's challenging them to remember there so they can remain in him so they can live out the gospel. Point number two, verses 20 and 21. But you, dear friends, once again, beloved loved ones, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith, by praying in the Holy Spirit, maintain yourselves in the love of God while anticipating the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that brings eternal life. Now, the main verse here is not found in verse 20. It's found in the beginning of verse 21, which is to maintain yourself. It's a command. All the other verses here, they're participles. They will describe what the main verb, what's the main command is in this passage. Now, to maintain here can be translated to keep or to remain. And to remain in the love of God is not only your priority in life, but it is your privilege. All because Jude made it clear that we have been, listen to this, verse 1, wrapped in the love of God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ himself. Now, let me give you some things here. God's love for you was manifested in the past, which means his love for us was while yet we're still sinners. And it was also manifested in the present because we're now being sanctified. And it's going to be manifested in the future when Jesus Christ actually reigns and comes back for his church. And that is exactly here, the third point, is exactly what the false teachers are telling the church that's not going to take place. And so here's how Jude describes this. He says you need to maintain, remain in the, in the love of Christ. And, and here's how you do this, how you accomplish this. Number one, you need to build yourself. You do this by building yourself up in the most holy faith. We have to do verses 19 to 17 through 19 to be able to accomplish the second part here, as I said. But this holy faith here was handed down to the saints. And it has become the foundation of the Christian life. Now, if I were to ask you, can anyone get to know and come to know the Word of God or come to know Jesus Christ apart from the Word of God, the answer is no. This is what saves, 
And this is the foundation he established. You need to build yourself up in this word. But how do we know this? Once again, Jude chapter 3, uh, verse 3 says, Dear friends, although I have been eager to write to you about our common salvation, I now feel compelled instead to write to you to encourage to contend for the faith that was once for all, listen to this, once for all entrusted to all of us. Not only 2,000 years ago, but to you. And that is, in one way, a heavy weight on your shoulder because now you not only have the privilege to do this, but you have the responsibility to carry this message. And you do this by building yourself up in the most holy faith, which is directly connected to doctrine. You cannot build yourself in the faith without being in the doctrine that God has left for us. Because if you could, then you can go online and find any resources that have nothing to do with the gospel and you can build yourself in the faith but it is not the faith that God wants for you it is like my wife has a love note for me on the refrigerator but let's say she comes home and she finds amazing magazines she finds amazing magazines at the library and she takes a few pieces of them and she puts in the refrigerator now she thinks that those love notes are more important than mine you would think, man, that, that's never going to happen, but we do that because we rotate and switch our desire that God has for us to be in love with him as a father or daughter, as a son or daughter to the most holy God for the things that the world has to offer. And then he says that building up here demonstrates growth. You need to grow. There's no stagnation in growth. Can you imagine if we invited you to come to the new church building today and you get there excited to do this signing activity that we're going to do and put the prayers down and all of a sudden you get there and there is nothing. The building looks the same as it did three years ago. You're going to say, whoa, 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 whoa wait a second. <laughs> I thought there was growth here. I thought the building was being built up. Uh, no, I'm sorry, we're, we're stagnant. You would say that, that w w what's the result here? Well, the result is we're just stagnant. And God doesn't want that for you on a spiritual level. You're called to grow. And it's either going to grow things from God or it's going to grow things from the world. You don't have any other option. And that's why I said I do not envy, even though I wish I had a 20-year-old or 18-year-old body, I do not envy the situation and the challenge that those students will face through as they leave home to go to college. But students and you, grandparents, parents, children, you need to remember the Word of God and you need to remain in His love. I believe it was Jesus who says you need to abide in me. So the question becomes, how building ourselves up help us to remain in the love of God? We're called to press on towards the goal, which is to become not only holy, but to imitate his son. Faith is built by spiritual steps which are anchored in God's word. And these are the steps that will help you to remain in him and to understand the love that he has for you. 
So listen to some of the things that I thought this week as I was meditating on this that happens in my own life and it should happen in my life. Perhaps they don't happen all the time and all at once, but they have happened at one point or the other. When I read God's word, listen to this, conviction takes place Sanctification can be found, joy is restored, forgiveness is offered, mercy is extended, grace is bestowed, prayers are heard. The Spirit is at work, the Lord is honored and glorified. The Heavenly Father's plans are revealed to us. Submission is in place from my perspective towards this Heavenly Father. Restoration is prosperous, hope is attainable, justification is explained, and salvation is extended to those who believe. That's why you need the Word, and you need to remain in Him. You must build your life on the spiritual foundation and the spiritual doctrines that you find in this book, not on the internet, not on a library magazine, not in an article that you read somewhere, but in this book. And you do this not only by building yourself up in the most holy faith, but you do this by praying. Now, praying in the Spirit here has nothing to do about praying in tongues, okay? It's not a statement. This, this, what Jude is actually telling us is that he wants us to elaborate what it means to pray in the Spirit here by explaining that we're supposed to live just like Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, that we must live by the Spirit so that we won't gratify the desires of our flesh, that we must understand that according to the Spirit's direction, this is how we are supposed to live. Praying the Spirit now is necessary, and it's a necessary complement to God's Word because God's Word speaks to us, and when we pray, we speak back to God. It is through God's Word that I'm confronted, that I'm loved, that I'm challenged, and it is through my prayer that I can say thank you. When we pray in the Holy Spirit, as Jude's saying here, we rest on him and entrust him with our plans. How many of us need to do that more often? Let me keep my hand up. Not only our plans, but our chaotic lives, our problems and circumstances. We rely on his wisdom to lead us and to guide us into the into paths of righteousness for, for his name's sake. We communicate that we long for him to reveal himself to us when we pray. Now, if your house is like mine and you live in an older home, you realize that sometimes you have a lot of remodeling projects to do that you didn't expect. If you're like me, you enjoy those challenges because you enjoy building things with your hands and fixing things. But you know what? If you're like me, most likely, as you start a project or you're halfway through or even before, you're going to realize that you do not have all the tools that you need to accomplish the task. So Lowe's and Home Depot becomes your best friend for those weeks that you're diving into this project. And not only those two places, but the gas stations along the way. Because you're going there back and forth. We laugh about this, but here's the thing. We believe that in life, in our spiritual walk, 
God has done the same thing for us that he has not given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Therefore, we need some other help from some other resource outside of God himself. So we go to the lows of the worldly moments and to the Home Depots and to the shell gas stations to try to find the tools that we need to accomplish the job when God has says, I have given you everything. And let me tell you what one of those tools are, and this is always, always 100% an object that brings, are you ready for this? That makes us feel that we're not doing a good job, and that is the subject of prayer. Because none of us will ever be able to say, I have prayed enough. So if you're like me and you haven't done that enough, you need to go to the one who is able to answer and to hear your prayers. And you need to pray in the Spirit. Now here's the last thing that he's going to tell us how to remain in this love. He says we need to anticipate the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ in verse 21. Jude's exhortation here is related to a future event. He's not talking about the mercy that God is displaying for us right now. He's saying the mercy of God that will come in the future. Now, a commentator says this, that we should keep in mind and, const a constantly, look, and constantly look forward to the complete realization of, a, of our eternal life. This will be the greatest manifestation of Jesus Christ's mercy to us, the believers. In other words, Jude's exhortation here is related to us keeping our hope in view of eternity. You need to keep your hope in view of what God is going to do in the future. And so the reminder is, as, as we look forward to the blessed hope and the glorious appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ, as Titus describes in chapter 2, to the coming day of our God in 2 Peter, and also for the day that he will dwell in the heavens the new heavens and the new earth, we need to remember that this is not now, that his mercy and grace is sufficient for now, but there is mercy coming. And where there is mercy coming, there is hope. We're to look forward. Now, here's why you need to do this. When you feel discouraged and you feel like there's no way in life that you can move forward, and I have been there, you need to remember that there is mercy coming and that there's hope available. Now think about this. I know you are a very godly church. But just imagine if there were enough individuals sitting right next to you. Just imagine that every single seat here that's empty was somebody that does not believe the same message as you, and they begin to tell them their message to you and influence you to move away from this so-called faith. This is what Jude is telling the readers. You need to remember God's word, and you need to remain in his love because they were sitting next to them, and they were telling them their own theology, and they were moving the people away from the Lord because they were bringing things into the church that didn't belong there. Now, here's Jude's final exhortation to us. And it is not direct, directly related to us being sanctified, like remembering his word and remaining in his love. 
but it is directed, directed towards those who are in danger. Verse 22 and 23. And have mercy on those who waver. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Having mercy on them, coupled with a fear of God, hating even the clothes stained by the flesh. Now the verb here, the main verb here is to have mercy, which literally means to show kindness or concern for somebody else. Okay? And the concern here is very explicit. It's the concern for somebody who's not doing well spiritually. So this is why you have to show mercy and you have to be compassionate. You have, honestly, you have to reach out to those who need compassion. Verse 22, listen, listen to what it says. Those who often, listen to what it says, verse 22. And have mercy on those who waver. What is interesting about this is that most of the time, those who pose the greatest threats to the church are the ones that need the greatest blessing. And they're also part of the greatest mission. That is why the Great Commission exists. That's why we're called to make disciples. You need to reach out. And according to Jude, these individuals here, they, look at the description here. They're doubting or wavering in their faith. They're, they're believing that God's message may not be true because of the library magazine comment section here that's been influencing them. That is one of the reasons why I ask you, and I will continue to do so, for you to pray for the students. I do not want to, to know that 80% of our students here, which is like the national statistic in this country, the 80% of our students, when they leave high school to go to college, they have been in the faith. You know, we need to reach out to those who are wavering. This individual, the individuals here who are not able to make a distinction between God's message and the message that the world has offered them. They need discernment. It's too many voices out there competing for their attention, robbing them from the, for their dreams, ex enticing them with pleasures and tricking them to believe that the world has something to offer way better and far better than what God has for them. Those are all lies. And if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, you will remember that in there, there's a massive question that was asked, did God really say these things? That very same lie is the lie that's being told today, and it's the lie that was being told 2,000 years ago when Jude was writing this. Did God really say he's coming back? Is he really coming? What about this one? Does he really love me? If he does, why doesn't he fix all my problems? Or give me some self-esteem? Or help me out out of my pit? Why can God just make things better and to rescue me from the suffering and the trouble that I'm going through in life? Church, compassion is not an option. It's mandatory. And so Jude offers us a solution here. Have mercy on those struggling between truth and error. And remember that showing mercy does not mean that you must forget or ignore the issue on the other side. 
But you need to persevere through this message because you have hope and mercy coming for you. And they do not believe that anymore. And then he says this, save others, snatching them from the fire. Salvation here is related to those who have fallen away into heresy and believe the premises of the false teachers. And they're supposed to call and to snatch them out of the fire, which literally means the idea is to seize them from destruction. Fire is most often used as a judgment. And so what Jude is saying, before judgment happens, you need to snatch them out of that position and bring them out here because you have the hope. MacArthur says Jesus modeled this principle during his earthly ministry to those who are confused, listen to this, unsure and filled with doubts, he patiently and gently presented them with the gospel. But to those who committed false teaching, such as the scribes and the Pharisees, he bluntly warned them of the gravity of their lost condition. Mercy here should be coupled with fear. He says, on others coupled with fear of God, hating even the clothes stained by the flesh, in verse 23. Now, when reaching out into situations like this one, we, we must be cautious. You need to be cautious. And the reason why you need to be cautious is because it is danger. It is dangerous on the other side. When I was in seminary, one of the things that I enjoyed to do was to do evangelism. So sometimes we would go out and do some evangelism, and that was always great, not because it made me feel better, because I knew that that was a necessity. And then I read a story about a guy who was in seminary, and he went to New York City to evangelize, and he began to look at, the, at life, the way life was being displayed in there, especially at nighttime when people were on the streets doing things that they should not be doing. He ended up going back home multiple times, praying about this, praying about this, and all of a sudden curiosity began too big for him that he began to research what they were doing, and he got so hooked into that situation that pornography and drugs ended up destroying his life. Now, great intentions, really bad results. God has called us to be here, but he's called us to be wise in this process. You need to show compassion, but you need to do so with the wisdom that God is going to do to you and give it to you when you remember his word and when you remain in his love. Because just as I do the projects in my own house, if the little light comes up on my car and I know what that light means like, I'm going to have to put more money into this car now to be able to survive. If that light comes up and I do nothing about it, the one thing that I will do is cause more problems for the people around me because the first thing I'll do is I'll call my wife and now she's going to have to pack all three kids into her van and come pick me up some other places and now she's going to waste her time and I'm going to waste her time. God has called us to do this, but he's called us to be cautious because of the word that abides in us and the love of God that's in us. And we do this cautiously, but we obey him because it's a mandate. It's not an option. So CBF, here's what I want from you as we close our time together. This is not the kind of message 
that a lot of people want to hear. But this is God's word. And sometimes, as my former pastor used to say, who was a war uh, vet, he used to say, the best thing that you can do in your spiritual walk is to go back to the basics. What I told you today for the last 40 minutes, nothing is new. But there is a reason God over and over and over again repeats the same basic principles. Because we are like children and we need to be reminded that his word is important, that his love for us is important before we go out and do something for him without having the fuel and the love inside of us. So CBF, remember his word. Remain in his love and reach out to those around you who are wavering in their faith with compassion. Father, we thank you for this morning. What a beautiful text. I pray, Father, that you would use your word into our lives, that you would be exalted and glorified. And as Jude wrote to this church and to this body of believers and is writing to us, I pray that we would remain in your love, that we would remember your word, and that we would do everything within us to reach those who are struggling. Father, your word must take supremacy in our lives, and I pray that you will do that in a mighty way. In Jesus' name.